Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message about Pilate condemning Jesus to die. You can follow along with this message in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 18. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. As I begin today, I have a special guest I want to introduce you to. Today, we have the privilege of having in person Praveen Chekavarte from India. And this is Roland Bergeron. He's the interpreter. Because with an Indian accent and a bad Southern accent, we, you, you may all need some help. But Roland is the head of Water of Life, part of our church. Roland was our initial contact with Praveen. And then through Fenton Moorhead and then our advisory team, we began partnering with Praveen there in Kakanada, India. And um, then they took some steps to begin Set Free Alliance. So Praveen, would you give us an update about the campus? The campus is almost completed. We had an obligation certificate. We had a helmet and the kids are now on campus. And I thank each and every one of the church members for helping to complete the campus. And I'm so happy for them. Thank you so much. Everybody, did you all get that? The campus is completed. You see the video. The children are moving in. How many children will be housed? For 2,000 children. Now, when I first went there, it was supposed to be 500, wasn't it? Yes, sir. And when Brookwood Church had said that, okay, we will help you, then I had able to save, rescue more than 8,000 children. And we had reunited some children and still there are 5,600 children in different parts of India where the pastors and the churches are taking care of them. Did you understand that there are almost 6,000 children dispersed among pastors who are attempting to feed these children? The children are only eating one meal per day because it would cost in excess of $350,000 a month to house, to feed these children. They can't be housed because the facility that we built only holds 2,000. So there's almost 4,000 dispersed among pastors. Are there other children to reach? Every day I get a lot of phone calls from mine owners and also the people to take the children from the mine areas. But I say I won't leave their phone calls because I'm afraid that I cannot feed those children. If I lift a phone call, a person can come and say that here are the 5,000 children, you take them. But I can't say no to the children. There are many children, many parents, or many mine owners, brick owners, they want to close the mines and leave the business and go away. So I'm afraid to take more children. Yesterday, two days back, 121 children have been given when I'm here. I don't have any words, but I call my pastors to take them 
and there in the churches. I want you to understand the seriousness of this. These are children that are enslaved. They are, they are beaten, they are raped, they are starved. They have no value. The, the government will not educate them, feed them, care for them, or protect them. These are untouchables or dalits. They're below the caste system. But the, you know what? Every child possesses the image of God. Every child has value, equal value to us before God. And I am going to ask you, Praveen will be here after the service over to talk, to just shake your hand. He'll be here at 3.30 this afternoon to give us more information, to answer your questions. And um, I wanna ask you even now to pray, what should I do? There, might be a, there, might be, there may be an undiscovered millionaire here who, but every one of us can give five, 10, 20, $100 a month. You can give monthly through set free. We'll take a collection at the end of this service. We'll collect at the end of the, this afternoon's session. But, so there's much ahead, but let me say a word of congratulations to you. This campus cost $4.5 million. It was, it was um, estimated. Brookwood Church, through our ministry plan, not including what those of you that give per month, has given 4.5 million to the construction of this building. Hold on, I'm not finished. But a man that Roland and Praveen led to the Lord, a businessman put in a million and a half or more of his own and added an extra floor. But you have also given funds to support the children in excess of 3.8 million. Brookwood Church in the last six years has given over $8 million to this project. Here's my point. It only takes a lot of us giving a little. But I'm going to ask everyone to give to Brookwood's ministry plan so that we can overflow into this wonderful project. God has blessed us with a partner we can trust and a, and a very real, real need. American churches build far too many buildings and spend it on far too many things that don't matter. This is a need that I think God will look to each of us and say, you did it to the least of these. So I'm asking you to consider that. Praveen, thank you for coming out. Now here's the bad news, I'm still preaching. I'll try to go quickly, how about that? Roger, tell me if I'm too slow, okay? We're back in the life of Jesus. Take out your books. You still, are you still reading your books? You're learning some things? Let me see those books. Raise them up. They're still for sale out there. Five bucks, remember. We're studying the life of Jesus because we are saved not by knowing information. We're saved by the man, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So today's message is entitled Trial. And I'll be dealing with reading 196. After being arrested, how many trials was Jesus subjected to? Somebody answer loudly. Who said six? Come up here, I'm gonna kiss you. Actually, two formal trials. <laughs> Come on up here, Happy. 
Actually, two, two formal trials, one religious, one civil in nature, civil criminal. I mean, um, but there were three phases in each trial. So Jesus stood before six, yes, there were six separate hearings before either individuals or different groups throughout that night. Now, the final and the most decisive appearance was a second hearing before the governor of Judea, whose name was what? Which means he operated a plane, right? Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman, the Roman governor appointed by the Roman emperor Tiberius, AD 26. Now, what kind of man was this man? Well, temperamentally, he was very proud, egotistical, arrogant, brutal, and even cynical. But he could also be weak, insecure, and indecisive. And that is a bad combination. Arrogance and insecurity creates a dangerous person. Our theme verse, if you'll take out your message guide, theme verse on top of the outline, on the front two panels is the outline. Pilate asked them, what should I do then with Jesus who is called Messiah? This is our question as well. What will you do with Jesus? Because your answer determines your eternal destiny. And so this morning in this message, I'm going to examine different responses from groups of people made during Jesus' appearance before Pilate. But we're going to compare those responses to our own responses. The first response is awareness. And I'm beginning, like I said, reading 196. I'm on page 231 of the Life of Jesus book. While he, Pilate, was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. So Pilate's wife, you see, interrupted him. She, she burst into the trial while Pilate was acting as judge. That's not customarily done today or then either. Now, we don't know how she knew this. We, we, what, was this dream sent by God? Was it caused by her own restless mind? But it's interesting that she was correct in her assessment of Jesus with that righteous man. He's being tried as a criminal and yet she knows this is a guiltless man. Did she decide based on Jesus' teaching? Did she hear about his miracles? Did she understand that some people thought he really was a Messiah from God? Or was this revealed to her by God's spirit? She knew that her husband had found no reason to charge Jesus in the first or the initial hearing he had. But she was concerned because she knew her husband she knew he was susceptible to pressure. And so she knew that under the pressure of the Jewish leaders, he might change his mind. And she's saying, don't harm this man. Pilate's wife had an awareness of Jesus' identity. She even knew of his righteousness. Righteousness. 
She knew he was innocent of any crimes and and she wanted him released. Does that mean she was saved? What do you think? We don't know that. We don't know. But I want you to hear this. To have a favorable attitude toward Jesus. To believe certain facts about his life such as his righteousness, does not in itself equal eternal life. James 2, 19 and 20. We must be born again by faith. John 3, 3. And so now apply this to yourself. Is your response to Jesus, your your attitude, your posture toward him today, Merely an awareness or even an acceptance of his identity, but without a transformation of your life. Another response to Jesus is antagonism. Now, this is about six in the morning that this is going on. And I'm reading there at verse 13, Luke 23. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, you have brought me this man as one who subverts the people. Now, literally, the Greek here means to turn away. And, and, and what, it, what it is communicating is he's trying to turn the people away from the Roman government. In other words, he's attempting to lead rebellion against the the rulers from Rome. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I found, see the the religious leaders have been been standing back even when it was the, the Roman charges being considered. But they were always there watching, peering, witnessing. After examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse of him. Neither has Herod because he sent him back to us. Now this, this is not Herod the Great who was Herod at the time of Jesus' birth. This is Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas, who actually is the governor of Galilee and Perea, another area. But the reason that Jesus was sent over to Herod, and I hope y'all are reading this in your daily readings, was because Jesus was from where? From Galilee. So this was the ruler who actually was over Jesus because of his residency. But Herod Antipas found no reason to charge him either. Clearly he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore I will have him whipped and release him. Surprising, isn't it? The governor knew Jesus posed no threat to Rome. And he resisted the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, attempt to pressure him into executing an innocent man. Now, Pilate, you see, he he tried to strengthen his position by citing Herod, the governor of Galilee. But the Jewish leaders were unpersuaded. They were unmoved because they were so antagonistic, so hostile to Jesus. They didn't care about guilt and innocence. They cared that they hated him and wanted him put to death. 
But here you see weakness displayed by Pilate, don't you? If Pilate believes he's innocent, why will he have him whipped? And this whipping is scourging. Roman punishment, it was a whip with a wooden handle with a a number of strips of leather attached with bits of metal or bone that were connected to the ends of the strips. And so they would beat the person until the person's flesh was torn and ripped to the point that, that muscles and bone and even internal organs could be seen. One form of it had hooks on the end that they called a scorpion and it would actually tear. You say, well, we know that it's only, it was 39 lashes. No, no, it was 39 lashes for a Jew because the Jewish law only allowed 40 lashes and the Jewish religious leaders backed up one so they wouldn't break the law. Romans had no limit. And so there would usually be two of them who were beating until they were exhausted or some person, some official called them off. Before Pilate carried out this plan though to punish and release Jesus, he had another thought, possibly even suggested by the crowd, Mark 15 suggests. We continue at verse 15. At the festival, it was the governor's custom to release to the crowd one prisoner whom they wanted. It was uh, an act of goodwill to reduce tension. And it was not likely started by Pilate. It was likely started by, you know, someone who preceded him. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Messiah. For he knew they handed him over because of envy. Pilate knew about Jesus' widespread popularity. And he knew that many of them believed that Jesus was the long-expected Messiah, the Christ. Remember the word Christ and Messiah are the same word. They both mean anointed. Messiah is what, what language? I know it's 946, but come on. Messiah's out of what language? Hebrew. Christ is out of what language? That's the only difference. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. They mean the anointed. If the people asked for Jesus' release, you see, Pilate could comply. You ever know anybody at work like that that was always trying to pit one group against another one so they never would have to make the hard decision? That's what he was trying to do. He was a cowardly man. He did not want to take a stand. So he's trying to get the people to press him to do what he really wants to do and he knows is right. The chief priests and elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. So see, they're talking to the crowd that's gathered, just the commoners. And they're whispering and, and they're, they're saying things to try to manipulate them. And they probably gathered up a bunch to bring to this trial as well, a group that they could control. Did they bribe them? I don't know. Did they intimidate them? Perhaps. But that, I want you to feel this. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? No, I'm sorry, I read, I went up too far. The governor asked them, which of the two, I'm on 21, do you want me to release to you? Then they all cried out together, take this man away, release Barabbas to us. 
Now, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for rebellion that had taken place in the city, but also for murder. And in different gospels, he's called a robber, a murderer, and an insurrectionist. So he truly was due, according to the Roman law, crucifixion. Pilate asked him, what should I do then with Jesus who is called Messiah? And they all answered, crucify him. And then he said, why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting, crucify him all the more. Pilate knows what's going on. The text already says that he knew these men were hostile to Jesus, not because he had broken Moses' law. He knew that they they were only interested in having him put to death because of jealousy. Because they were the religious authorities in the land until Jesus showed up. But now they envy his teaching. They, they, they're jealous of his ability to perform miracles. And they despise him for his popularity. And if Jesus continues to gain popularity, what happens to them? They get diminished, don't they? They lose their position as the authorities on every religious subject. And it could cause them to have to change their lifestyles as well. If they lose their prominence, they lose their lifestyle. So Pilate understood why these religious leaders were so angry. But I think Pilate was surprised at the attitude of the common people. I don't think Pilate understood that with Jesus' arrest the people would recognize that this is not the man who will overthrow Rome's rule. And they were less interested in a religious Messiah than, remember, than they were a Messiah who would come and would conquer Rome and drive them out of the country. So their support turned to anger and to resentment because Jesus disappointed them. Who has disappointed you? And how do you feel toward them? Has Jesus disappointed you? Something that's happened in your life, some tragedy has befallen you, some circumstances that aren't favorable, something you thought that faith would promise and it hasn't delivered? Are we antagonistic toward Jesus like these religious leaders because we don't want him coming into our lives and changing it? So you can be antagonistic because you know if he comes in, some things have to change because he has an expectation of moral living, for example, from our lives. So we don't get to live any way we want. Or we could be rejecting him like the common people because we... He doesn't provide what we want or what we respect or what we might even demand from him. A third response to Jesus is ignorance. I'm at John 19 now, about the middle of the page. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged or scourged. The soldiers also twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. 
and threw a purple robe around him. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. These soldiers were cruel in their mockery of Jesus as the King of the Jews. But what motivated their cruelty? You have an idea? What motivated this cruelty? See, our motivations actually matter more to God than our actions. Sermon on the Mount is written more about motivation than action, isn't it? I think, and you know whenever I say I think, what? You can disregard it. But you need to study out and know what you think from God. But I think they were just ignorant. They were just caught up in the moment and they didn't know who this man was. Now they were indifferent, they didn't care, but they didn't know. Pilate went outside again and said to them, look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. He keeps repeating it, doesn't he? This man is innocent, he's done nothing. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. Notice he didn't say here is your king this time. Because think about what Jesus looks like now. He's been beaten. He's tied up. He's bleeding from all over his back and even where the whip would strike this front of his body. He's dehydrated from blood, lack of blood, lack of water. He's weak, he's stumbling. Remember, he's not even able to carry the cross piece of his cross later on. So he's, 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 he's pathetic, he's weak, he's broken down, he's beaten. And Pilate hopes it'll arouse some sympathy. But back to these soldiers and their mistreatment. At the day of judgment, these soldiers will be responsible for their responses. And ignorance will not be an excuse. You know, many times I read this story and I think, I'm glad I wasn't there at the time. I don't know how I would have behaved. But the Roman soldier's eternal destiny won't be determined by their cruelty toward Jesus. It'll be determined by their rejection of Jesus as Savior and Lord. John 3, 18. And so if these soldiers standing before God in judgment say, I didn't know who he was. It won't be an adequate defense. It won't be for them. It won't be for us. So if you were asked today, who is this man? What would you say? The story continued. At verse 19, 6. 
When the chief priests and the temple police saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify yourselves, which they couldn't do. He's just being sarcastic there. For I find no grounds for charging him. Now, put yourself in his place. Some of you are managers and VPs and officials. You ever been caught on the horns of a dilemma? No decision looks good. That's where he is. He's stressed, he's frustrated, he's afraid, he's losing control of this situation. And these religious leaders can smell, you know our phrase, blood in the water. They can tell he's weakening. And they're pressing in because they understand they're gaining the upper hand. And they say, we have a law. The Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he must die because he made himself the son of God. See, the Roman governors had absolute control. But the emperor didn't like them stirring up clashes. And so the Roman governors were supposed to control and yet uphold the local laws. And the Jews knew that. So they are pressing in forcing Pilate to acknowledge their legal rights and order Jesus executed. Because remember, only he has the right of execution. They no longer have it. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters, the praetorium, and asked Jesus, where are you from? Do you think he means what region did you grow up in? No, because he already knows he's Galilean. He wants to know, did you really come from God? Are you really divine like they say you are? Romans were superstitious and they had lots of gods. They even believed that the emperor was a god. Remember that? But Jesus did not give an answer. So Pilate said to him, you're not talking to me? Don't you know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? So he was insulted because Jesus wouldn't even give him an answer. And Jesus replied, you would have no authority on me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above, from God. And that is why the one who handed me over to you has greater sin. Now, I don't think this is a reference to Judas. I I do think it is a reference to the religious leaders. But I want you to understand in all this, and we've been looking at this over the past weeks, God was sovereign over all these events. I want you to read Acts 2, 23. In this terrible treatment, in this crucifixion, God was in control always of this situation. From that moment... Pilate made every effort to release him. He tried reasoning with the crowd. He tried declaring Jesus innocent. We don't, it's not reported, but he may have made more arguments to try to turn him loose. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now the Jews despise Caesar. 
but they're shouting threats to manipulate Pilate. And they are, they're implying they'll report him to the emperor. Now, the emperor was also a very suspicious, but also a very ruthless ruler. And he had already reprimanded Pilate publicly for a couple of things that Pilate did, some actions he took that caused uprising and caused anger among the Jews. And so Pilate's afraid that the word that he's not in control and he's inciting anger will get back to Caesar. And the very least, at the very least, Caesar would remove him, but Caesar might put him to death as well. So understand what he's feeling. A final response to Jesus in this passage is indecision. Verse 13, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside from inside, as I said, the praetorium, which was his residence. He sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the stone pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover. And it was about six in the morning. Now, I know that that might be confusing because here's the point. You said, well, Perry, you already told us that this happened after they had their Passover meal. That got you all worked up, didn't it? No, what this means is this was the preparation day for the Sabbath that occurred during the Passover week. Because sometimes the week was called Passover, even though it was only the single Thursday night dinner. Then he told the Jews, here is your king. So it's, it's like you ever seen somebody who's in an in a argument who, who weakens and then they get stronger and who gets defensive and then they get arrogant, who gets afraid and then they get mean. You ever seen that happen? That's what's happening. He's backing up, then he's coming back out. He's backing up, he's trying to intimidate, then he's pleading, then he's begging, then he's coercing, then he's pressing. And here again, Pilate has gotten a little proud and so he's mocking them. And he's suggesting this beaten, helpless man was their king. Attempting to cover his own insecurity with his arrogance. You know that arrogant and egotistical people are always the most insecure people. The most controlling people are always the most fearful people. Isn't that right, doctor? You say, well, those two are opposite. No, no. One is a cover for the other. Always. Always. Verse 15. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, which this is, a, this is actually a Jewish ritual. It's not a Roman ritual. And said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See, he's trying to absolve himself of responsibility. Does he think Jesus really is God and might punish him? Perhaps. He really wishes he could not be in this room and was not put in this place. 
This is one time he wishes he did not have this power. He didn't agree with it, but he, he acquiesced, he yielded, and he's trying to disavow any involvement. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. That's a horrifying statement, isn't it? We will accept responsibility for putting this man to death. And you can judge us and you can judge our children. So then because of them, he handed him over to be crucified. Therefore, they took Jesus away. Pilate wasn't a merciful man. Pilate wasn't tentative about putting people to death. He put thousands to death. But Pilate did possess a sense of justice. And so he wanted evidence of Jesus' guilt before executing him so he could have a clear conscience, you know, and say, well, he deserved it. He was indecisive, he wavered, he vacillated between what he believed and the fear of what would happen to him if the Jews revolted because he released Jesus. He lacked the conviction to stand for what he believed to be true. He was not courageous enough to risk his own welfare to protect the life of a man he knew was innocent. He repeatedly appealed to the Jewish leaders in the crowd to prevent him from having to make a decision. But Pilate had to decide what to do with Jesus. And so do you. We can't say, I don't know, I, I can't be sure. I just, I didn't decide. It won't absolve us. To not decide is to reject the Son of God. This reading today focused on several trials. In reality, it wasn't Jesus that was on trial at all, was it? It was the Jewish religious leaders. It was the crowd of Jewish people. It was Herod Antipas. It was Pontius Pilate. And it's each of us. Because each of us must decide, what will I do with Jesus? There'll be counselors up front, counselors, you come on, ready to talk to you about faith in Christ. As I said, they have oil to anoint you for healing. We don't always see healing, but we have seen healing, physical healing, emotional healing of various kinds. I want to remind you, baptisms at two. We'll be meeting with Praveen in here at 3.30. I would love to see many of you come. And, you know, we'll try to get to all your questions. We're not in a hurry to end the meeting briefly this afternoon. But I'd ask you in the meantime to spend some time just praying and say, God, 
You've given me resources. What should I do with these resources? They can be given to set free. They can be given this afternoon. They can be given at the doors as you leave today. Praveen will be to my left. He may be coming in somewhere. Yeah, see Praveen standing there? And y'all just feel free to shake his hand and, um, you know, just say what you'd like just briefly. And then we'll be here a longer period this afternoon. Father God, it's so easy for us to look at Pilate's unwillingness to do what was right. And yet, through him, you are asking us to do what is right as well. Father, for those here who don't know you, maybe they have some awareness, but they are a bit ignorant of really who Jesus was and what difference he makes. And maybe they, they, they have some opposition because of hurts and wounds in their lives. I pray that your spirit would draw them, that you'd give them ears to hear and eyes to see, that they could respond in faith to the son you sent to die for their sakes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our websites or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed week.